This is the Word of God from the household of David Church. It is a message designed to raise men after God's own heart. Listen and be blessed. Let's turn our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. We'll read the word on our feet. 1 Corinthians 11, sorry. 1 Corinthians 11 would read from verse uh, 24 to 26. Are we there already? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-four, 24. Amen. Okay. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Can we read verse 26 together? As he eats this bread and drink this cup, ye shall fought the Lord's death until he come. Amen. Let's be seated. So tonight I'll be teaching on a subject I've titled, the blood of covenant, the blood of covenant. Now, in this same scripture that we just read, in the rendition of Mark, after Jesus had said these words on the night that he was going to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, after saying these words, his disciples, the Bible does not record that they said anything. They were totally silent, and they were looking at him. And as a matter of fact, he said that, and then they sang a hymn, and then they took a long walk all the way to the Mount of Olives before it was recorded that anybody said anything else. And then you cannot help but wonder, if Jesus said that kind of significant thing, why would it be that nobody said anything? Usually when somebody says something and you know, nobody speaks, it's one of two things. It's either they don't really understand what he's saying, or maybe the things that he said are so weighty that what they really need is contemplation and not really conversation at that point in time. So I'd like to toe the line of the second part that the things he said to them that night was really weighty. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus had said something similar. You know, when the multitude came and, you know, they were excited and everything. And Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, um, you know, the disciples, not just the 12 apostles, he had a lot of disciples. There were the 70 and then there were the unnumbered ones. And they were very concerned about what he said. And the Bible records that he said, this is, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And in fact, after that point in time, a lot of them turned. And the Bible records that they ceased to walk with him from that time. So what was it really about a covenant that affected them so strongly? What was, what was it that these people knew about the words that Jesus said that you would regard so simply or easily that had such a strong impact on them? I'd like to start um, from the beginning well, not the beginning of the Bible, but from the beginning where Israel begins, and which is in Genesis. We will not exactly be reading it because it's a lengthy reading. It's Genesis 12, 15, 17, and 22. 
And that was when God had called out Abraham. He said, Abraham, he called him out of the land of all of the Chaldeans. And he said, Abraham, come and go in that sense to a nation, to a land that I would show you, you know. And I would make of you a great nation. And Abraham, as we all know, in a sense, blindly followed God. Now, Abraham, we call him Father Abraham. We're not the only ones that call him Father Abraham. It's, it's remarkable that the three major religions of the world refer to him as Father, and that's Christians in Islam and in Judaism. They all refer to him as you know, the father figure of the faith. And then why is that? When God called Abraham and he said, okay, come and I will make of you a great nation. Because if you see from the beginning, when God created Adam in the garden, his reason, his essence for creating man, he wanted fellowship. He wanted people, a people that will be totally and wholly devoted to him. But then we all know how that turned out. But then he didn't give up on that plan. And he started again with Abraham. And he said, okay, Abraham, I'm going to make this set of people. I'm going to birth a new nation through you. Now you come and follow me. So Abraham did that. And then as they went along, and he said, no, Abraham, I need a stronger sense of commitment from you. And so he caught a covenant with Abraham. I mean, for me, it's staggering that God would do that or that that event would actually happen. But it did. It did. God actually caught a covenant with a human being like you and me. And what happened that day was God had um, a substitute during the event of that covenant making. And there was a ram. He asked Abraham to bring a ram, I think a goat and a heifer, and then two birds. And then he cut the animals open except the birds. And he stayed all evening. I think that was Genesis 15. Yes, I think so. And then in the evening, God came and passed through the caught animals. And then he said, okay, he was entering into covenant with Abraham. And he said, so Abraham, for your own part of commitment in this covenant, you're going to have to circumcise yourself and circumcise every male born into your household as a sign of the covenant. Praise the Lord. Okay, so now in case you're wondering where all of this is going, let me tell you um, a little story about covenant, covenant making to drive home the point about the seriousness of a covenant. Now, um, in the 18th century, during the, no, that would be the 19th century, during the 1800s, there was a very popular Scottish missionary at the time. That was Dr. Livingstone, David Livingstone. He came to Africa also as an explorer. And um, he had planned to stay in Africa for like two years, However, in six years, they had not heard from him. Now, remember, at this time, there was no telephone, there was no um, email or things like that. So it was, people were getting worried, you know. They hadn't heard from him. They didn't know what was going on, and it was becoming national news. So there was this man, his name was Stanley, um, the World Herald newspaper at the time, journal, not newspaper. They decided to send him to Africa to look for Dr. Livingstone. So he went with a very strong troop, a, a whole lot of people. And then they started their expedition. And you can imagine how funny that is, you know, looking for one white man 
look at how vast Africa is. So it was really, really very difficult. They were falling ill, they fell sick, you know, they were attacked by the indigenous people and they were having a lot of challenges. It was so strong. So what happened was one of the interpreters of Stanley now told him, he said, do you know what? If we're going to make this easy, if we're going to get these people on our side, what we need to do is you, as the leader of the expedition, would need to go into covenant with the chief of the main indigenous tribe. Now, he had looked at all the procedures and processes, and to him, you know, some of them were a bit, you know, grotesque or heinous in that sense. But when the pressure was getting too much, his people were not getting a headway, nothing was happening, and he looked as if his, his mission was going to be impossible. Eventually, they had to do that. So what happened was... The chief brought a substitute. He brought one of his Englishmen. And then both Englishmen had their arms slit. And then there was a priest who had a glass of wine. And, you know, they poured their wine in the glass. They both drank it. And then they marked each of them with um, some kind of black substance. So that when the wound healed, there would forever be a mark that these people went into covenants with each other. And then after that... What happened was they had to exchange gifts with each other. And then the local chief asked um, Stanley for his goat. It might not seem like a big deal to us now, but Stanley was falling ill. Remember, this was Africa way back then. He had recovered from smallpox, malaria, so many things. So he really needed that goat so badly because that was the only place he got milk. So he had to give the goat to the chief. And then the chief gave him a spear in return, just a copper spear. And then he was feeling, ah, look, this man has cheated me. What kind of nonsense is this? But you know the cool thing? Everywhere he went with that spear, he found out that people not only submitted to him, people not only gave him audience, but people gave him everything that he needed because he was in possession of that spear. Now, the covenant did not end there because after that, the two parties came and then they pronounced totally Terrible, the most terrifying causes on each other, as in on whoever breaks the terms of the covenant. So that's how strong and binding the covenant was. And in fact, if a man entered into that kind of covenant and anybody in his party broke the covenant, that's, even if it wasn't Stanley, if it was one of his men that now killed one of the local people, they would have to bring him out and kill him, as in kill him totally. That was the only payment that they would accept. So he was like, wow. But, you know, immediately that happened, the chief called out Stanley, called out the local people, and said, this is our blood brother. Just a few minutes before then, they were sworn enemies. They were killing, I mean, they were looking for ways to kill each other. They were looking for ways to attack each other. But immediately after the covenant, the local chief said, look, this, these are our blood brothers. Feel free, trade with them eat with them, as in they can eat with us, give them anything they need, and they had access. So they became, in quotes, as one. Amen. So what does a covenant do in that sense? It means that the resources that this party had were now available to the other one. And then even if Stanley did not know the terrain or anything, because there were people on ground that knew that the, the way he was supposed to go, he already had everything he needed just by going into covenant. So now let's go back to Father Abraham. So now God, obviously, being greater than Abraham, I mean, like I said before, it's staggering, it's mind-blowing that he would want to go into covenant with Abraham, but he did. 
And he said, I want to make of you a great nation. I want a people for myself. I want a people that will be known and be called by my name. I want a people that I will back by the integrity of my word. I want to have a people, a nation that through me, that will showcase my glory to the earth. And sincerely, that was what Israel was. When Israel was born through the loins of Abraham, Israel was a nation like no other. I mean, a nation like no other. This was a people that God brought out of the land of Egypt. We all know the story of all the plagues and everything, how they walked through the Red Sea. And it didn't end at that. While they were walking through the desert, in the scorching hot desert sun, you know what happened? There was a cloud. There was a cloud that covered them. Even though it led them, it covered them. I mean, this is just Hamatan, not even desert. But you know how it is when you walk in the sun. But these were God's people. He said, these are my people. In the desert sun, there was a cloud covering them by day. And then you know what happened at night? In the desert, chill and cold and everything, there was fire. The fire not only gave them light, but it showed them what to do, showed them the way to go, and then it gave them heat. So you see, these were people totally kept and preserved by God. This was a nation like no other. I mean, earth had never seen any kind of people like this. This was a people that, you know, okay, I intend to read some verses. These were the blessings that came on the children of Israel by reason of the covenant. The Bible says that there was none feeble amongst them. That means there was nobody weak. It said, you know, they would go to war and not a man of them will fall. I have never seen that kind of thing. Even when you see Asian movies like 300 and the rest, you see great men fall, but not these people. Because these were a people backed by the authenticity of God himself. And then I want to point out something, which is what happened when God now validated the covenant. You see, because in a covenant, both parties are supposed to be entirely open to each other. And then no party is supposed to withhold anything from either one. And that is why when God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, give me your son, your only son whom you love. Abraham did not even think twice. He went ahead and he attempted to do it. And God said, yes, I found a man who would honor covenant. And what did he say? He said, Abraham, eh, look, now I swear by myself. As in, in blessing, I will bless you. And he said, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because this is a man that honors covenant. Now listen to what he said. He said, and it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come unto thee. Deuteronomy 28, it says, Blessed shall thou be in the city, blessed shall thou be in the field, blessed shall be the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy ground, the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind, the flock of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Blessed shall thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shall thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. And then he goes on and on, even up until 11, says, The Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body, in the fruit of thy cattle, in the fruit of thy ground. And all of this ends in verse 14, where he says, And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I commanded this day to go to the right hand or to go after the other gods to serve them. Amen. Amen. 
So now this is what happened. God had made Israel call them a covenant people. They had come out. There was a lot of things going for them. But if you remember the way a covenant works, it's like a two-edged sword. So it's like if, if you keep the terms of the covenant, if you obey them, if you walk before me, this is all the things that I'll do for you. Just imagine what it is that God is physically right beside you and he's just arranging things on your behalf. That is what Israel had for them. But then there was a clause. And that goes on from verse 14. That look, if you disobey, there will be so many, in fact, hideous things that I really would not read here in this place this evening. Amen. And so, if we had looked at all of that in the beginning, and we said, no, Israel was not always like that. I mean, Israel was carried into captivity. They were taken to Babylon. We know that the Philistines chased Israel. We know that the, the um, Ammonites, you know, they attacked him. They didn't give them peace. So what is all these things about um, one would chase a thousand? It was more like people were chasing Israel. And you can see that in Deuteronomy 32, when Moses said these things would not happen, you know, if not that their rock had forsaken them. And why would their rock forsake them? Because they did not keep the terms of the covenant. But God was so mindful of them. God was so, he was, he was so intent and so bent on having these people. He was like, look, I am a just God. I made this covenant. I know I made this covenant with Abraham. I know that these are the things I want to do. But these people, they are not keeping my laws. But regardless, I want to bless them. I still want to be their God. And so he introduced the laws of the covenant through Moses. It was Moses that um, said those things that we read in Deuteronomy 28. And what happened was that God was like, I am just. I cannot not say you did not break the covenant because you did. And the wages of sin is death. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. So he said, okay, now that you are not keeping the terms of the covenant, I'm going to do something about it. And then he introduced the, the, the Levitical priesthood, the sacrifices, the, the um, sacri- peace offerings, burnt offerings. But the most remarkable was the sacrifice of atonement, where every year the priest would come and then he would kill an animal to cover their sins for that year. Amen. Because if you remember, Remember, without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission of sins. And if there's no remission of sin, can God keep the covenant with Israel? No. If there's no shedding of blood. So the priest will come, he would get the two goats, he would sacrifice one, and then he'll put his hands on the other one, and then the scapegoat, and release it in the wilderness. So year in and year out, this kept happening. This kept happening, and this kept happening. And then it was like a continual thing. The Israelites were still not exactly getting it. Things were not still exactly the way God had imagined in his mind. This was not entirely the kind of people that God wanted. And he said, okay, I'm going to do something about it. So if you remember where we started, who remembers where we started? Very good. Thank you very much. We're going to read that same scripture from the rendition of Matthew, and that is Matthew 26, 28. Matthew 26, 28. Are we there, church? Okay. Matthew 26, 28. Start checking it from the back of your Bible. Amen. Okay. Matthew 26, 28. So I read... For this is my blood. Okay, let's start from 27. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of this, 
For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. For what? For what? For the remission of sins. Now, this was a huge, striking, remarkable difference. Now, that is why the, the, the disciples were looking at Jesus. He was talking about a new covenant. They were very familiar with covenants. They knew that a covenant was binding. And he said, a new covenant is happening here and now. And it is not for the atonement of sins. Atonement meant covering. As in, I'm not talking about covering now. I'm talking about total forgiveness. I'm talking about the slate of your sin being wiped away. Every record of your unrighteousness being removed. And then they were wondering, but we have a covenant that God cut with Abraham. We are children of Abraham. What is this man saying? What, what does he mean by the things that he's saying? But if we look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through to 14, I'll just read that quickly. It says, but Jesus Christ came and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his what? His what? His own blood, he entered in once into the holy place and having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an hypha sprinkling the unclean sanctified us to the purifying of the flesh, how much, can we say that together? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hallelujah. So Jesus Christ came and introduced a new system entirely. A new system entirely. He said, your sins will not be covered. You are not thinking that one day something will happen that will blow it open. You are not thinking that one day somebody will say, this house is not clean. I need to sweep under the rug because it's not under the rug. He said, this is a new covenant. This is my blood shed for you for the remission of your sins. Hallelujah. There are striking and remarkable differences between the old and the new covenant. The old covenant was entered into by circumcision, but the new covenant was entered into by new birth. Because the Bible says that except the man be born again, what would happen? He will not see the kingdom of God. The old covenant had a Levitical priesthood, but the new covenant has each and every one of us as kings and priests unto God. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. Each of us is a king and a priest, and that's why the God we serve is the king of what? He's a king of kings. Hallelujah. That is you and that is me. The old covenant had a physical temple where people would go in and pray, where people would come and where, where Solomon on the day the temple was dedicated said every prayer that will be made in this temple, oh God, hear and answer. But what does the Bible tell us? It says that we are living stones, that our bodies are the temple. Paul said, know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It means that everywhere you go, the tabernacle of God is where? It's on the inside of you. The Old Testament did not give us fellowship with God, but it gave us a promise of, of that fellowship. But what does the Bible tell us? It says that being justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God. The Old Testament had Jehovah Rapha coming to heal his people. 
But what does the New Testament say? The New Testament says that surely he bore our grief. He carried our sorrows. And yet did we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. And it is by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. So the old covenant brought and he brought, it brought an atonement. It brought a covering. But the new covenant brought remission. It brought total forgiveness. And the Bible says there is therefore what? Now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk after the flesh but after the spirit. Because as many as are led by the spirit of God are. We are the sons of God. We are a new people. We are the people that God wanted when he called Abraham. We are the children that he sought. We are the, we are the people that he says, look, my eyes turn, run to and fro the earth, looking for those to show myself strong on their behalf. We are the people that God says, these are my covenant nation. We are the people that God says, look, my word is behind you. I am backing you. You are covenant children. And this is not the kind of covenant that, that, that has to be renewed year and year. This is an eternal covenant given to you by myself because Jesus is the son of God and Jesus reigns forevermore. Hallelujah. He will never be unseated. There will never be a day where Jesus ceases to be Jesus. He's the Christ. He's our salvation. That is who Jesus is. This covenant is a never ending covenant. Hallelujah. So even as the old covenant had Israel as God's covenant people, let us look at what the new covenant says. First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. I'd like us to read this together. As a matter of fact, I'd like us to rise on our feet. I believe we might start sharing. Oh boy. The communion. First Peter chapter 2. Are we there, church? Now, we really need to be there because I want us to read this together. So now the old covenant had Israel as God's covenant people. But First Peter chapter 2, we're going to be reading from verses 9 up until 10. It says, can we read it? Okay, no, I'll read it then. I'll tell us where to join in. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past we are not a people, but now are the people of God. Can we read the last verse together? Did you see that? Before we were not a people. Before we were lost in sin. Before we were in the darkness. Before we were in the wild olive. But the Bible says he has taken us out of the wild olive. And grafted us into the vine. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were a people who had not obtained mercy. 
We were a people who were fit for condemnation. We were a people who deserved to be punished. We were a people who deserved to be separated eternally from God. But because of the blood of Jesus, he brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So his blood brought us into a place of mercy, into a place of forgiveness, into a place of fellowship, into a place where we can come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in every time of our need. That is what Jesus Christ did for us. Hallelujah. So what did Jesus say in the scripture we read? He said, this do as often as you will in remembrance of me. He's saying, don't forget what I did. Don't forget who you are because of what I did. Don't forget the nails that pierced his hands. Don't forget the nails that pierced his feet. Don't forget the spear that went through his side. Don't forget his blood that flowed from the cross. Don't forget the water that poured out of his side. He said, don't forget. Don't forget Gethsemane. Don't forget the struggle that it was for me. Don't forget because you are the joy that I was looking for. The joy waiting for me. He said, don't forget it. And this is why I want you to keep doing this. In remembrance of me. In remembrance of my sacrifice. In remembrance of everything that it means. Hallelujah. And by this, we tell of the Lord's death. We reaffirm our loyalty to Jesus. To Jesus and to his people. The people for whom he died. If you look at the person to your left and to your right, these are your brothers and sisters in covenant. They are not just your church people. The people with whom you share the cup. The people with whom you share the blood. His body. His body. He said, this is my body broken for you. His body. This is not just a ritual. This is not just something we do because we have nothing else to do. But this is something we do to say that, Lord, we remember your sacrifice. And we reaffirm by doing this that we are a covenant people. That we are no ordinary people. That we are not just anybody, that we have been taken from darkness and we have been brought into the kingdom of your dear son. That now we are your dearly beloved. Before we were sinners, before we were unrighteous, before we did not know our left from our right. But now we are in you, seated together with Christ in heavenly places, far above principalities and powers. Hallelujah. So don't forget Do not forget the sacrifice of Jesus. Don't forget to be loyal to his blood and to his body. His body are the people right beside you. If you are strong, you bear the infirmities of the weak. So that we all are being built into that perfect image of Christ. That as beholding him, we become like him. Hallelujah choir can I have his body was broken and his blood was shed to make us the sons of God hallelujah now let's take the bread in our hands and say together thank you father for the gift of your son and by his stripes I am healed from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet every cell every fiber every tissue every organ of my body functions in the perfection to which Jesus created it to function amen now you can have the bread
So let's take the cup. And we say together, thank you, Father, for your precious blood that was shed for me, removing all sins from my life, declaring me righteous, and making me a partaker of the covenant of the saints in light and by impartation I receive all the blessings of the new covenant of your blood in Jesus name Amen Now I want us to just lift up our hands to God and just begin to thank him and then begin to reaffirm the blessings of the covenant begin to say in your life whatever it is whatever it is that you need right now at this point in time begin to speak the words of God as regards it if you need healing in your body you know that with his stripes you were healed if you need direction Jesus Christ has been made unto you the wisdom of God if you need provision he is your supply he has blessed you with all blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just begin to speak those words and begin to say, Father, thank you for the blood of your son that was shed on the cross. Thank you because I have fellowship. I have fellowship with you. Thank you because I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am no longer carrying the burden of guilt and condemnation because I have been forgiven and my sins have been washed away, never to be remembered by the blood of Jesus. We are the people that God saw. We are the people that Isaiah said in Isaiah 63, that doubtless, O Lord, thou art our father, even though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, doubtless thou art our father. Doubtless he is your father. You might say, ah, but I'm not a Jew, but I'm not born of Israel. But Isaiah saw this and he said, doubtless, 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 thou art our father. It means that don't be afraid. Don't have any hesitations. Don't have any fears or challenges in your mind. That is God really my father. He is telling you tonight, I am your father. I am, I am, I am. All that you want him to be, he is to you. And tonight you have reaffirmed the covenant of his son through his death on the cross. He is your father. He is your father. He is your God. Run to him. His arms are open, wide to receive you because he loves you. Because he loves you. He loves you, beloved. Indeed, he loves you. Thank you for being a part of our broadcast. You know, we never like to end without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Coming into Christ is beyond joining a church, is beyond a religion. It is joining God's family. And that is done when you believe in Christ Jesus. So I just want to lead you right away now. If you are, if you want to give your heart to Christ, just say after me, say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again and that you paid for my sins. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior, and from today I belong to you. If you have said those words, will be late, you are born again, you are part of God's family right now. You can go ahead and rejoice about it. God bless you. We love you. Stay blessed.